Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I am very glad you're with us today. We have, we have never done much, have we, with near-death experiences on Seek Reality, and the primary reason is that death is always a one-way trip. No one who comes back to tell the tale ever has been to where the newly dead go, but rather all NDE round trips have been just to the general astral plane, and the love-based atmosphere there is so amazing that many people who have been there and come right back are so sure they must have died and come back to life. So rather than argue with our guests, we simply take a pass on discussing what are often some pretty good books, to be frank. And the reason why this is important is that we don't want people to get confused who are listening to seek reality. And the things that happen during NDEs are very different from the things that happen during actual death sequences. Some of them are nice, but a lot of them are frankly weird, things that happen during NDEs. And I don't want to confuse you about what is likely to happen to you during the course of your own natural death process. That might increase the likelihood of confusing you and helping you to go off track when you die. I don't want that to happen to you. It actually happens, believe it or not, during more than 25% of actual natural deaths. And again, just to summarize, that's why we very seldom have NDE experiencers as seek reality guests. But some NDE experiencers who write good books are willing to say, okay, we won't talk about this as actual death and coming back to life. We're going to talk about it as what it actually is, which is a trip to the astral plane and back. And so when someone just sends me a book that I like and is open-minded about it, I will invite that author to be a guest. And that's what our guest is today. He's someone who had a near-death experience when he was only three years old, and he is back again to to meet with us as a as a repeat a repeat guest. And this is, of course, um, Jacob Cooper. He's here for the second time. And he was a, he was an indie year at three years old. This does happen sometimes when someone is very young. He will have a near death experience. Jacob Cooper um, grew up and he had actually a kind of troubled childhood as a result of his NDE experiencer experience. He is an, a clinical social worker. He a certified Reiki master and a certified hypnotherapist who specializes now in past life regression therapy. He works privately with clients through online services. And because he was especially inspired by his spiritual awakening and his transformative encounters during his NDE, he also facilitates spiritual awareness and empowerment through life-changing seminars. Jacob lives and practices in Long Island, New York, and his first book was called Life After Breath. I really enjoyed his first book. It began with his remarkable near-death experience at the age of only 30. His second book, I thought, was even better. It's called The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder, and it features a grown-up Jacob 
working as a counselor, using his wisdom that he has his gained through that first near-death experience and his later out-of-body experience. To, and actually, he's had now multiple out-of-body experiences to help others navigate their lives. He's a very wise person for someone who is so young. Jacob, welcome. It's lovely to have you back with us again. Roberta, such an honor. I, I'm just wondering, who are you talking about? That sounds like a cool guy. <laughs> I'd like to meet him one day. <laughs> you always make me smile. First, well, thank you. A, a, a real big honor to um, be one of the select NDEers to be on your show and to come back, not only from my near-death experience, but to come back uh, from your show and to do it again. That's what we do. We're like cats. We have many lives. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We do. Do but but now to first briefly talk about because your I thought your first near death experience was fascinating. There you were a very small child and and you, you talk about it three years old and you went through this really very surprising near death experience. Uh, yeah, I was just a young boy, chrono, you know, chronological age. But I went to a playground and I climbed a ladder onto a slide and at the time. I had whooping cough, otherwise known as pertussis, and I have a cough right now <laughs> as I'm talking, but, you know, I'm not going to have another near-death experience while on the air. Don't worry well, about it. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> not on the air. I'll be fine. But I, I, <laughs> I, I suffocated, you know, as a result of uh, whooping cough, you know, and then after suffocating, you know, I was in this immense place of endless, like, suffering, and I just saw no end to what I was going through. It was It was torture. You know, and then I was able to surrender and let go of my physical breath to surrender to this other breath, this breath, that, you know, that I view as eternity that's within all of us that transcends the body. And as you said, I was able to really go into the higher realms and had awareness of, you know, a large degree of phenomenon from my spiritual guides to angels to reunification with self family members to understanding of what I was to do in this life, as well as understanding of what some past lives that I experienced and their correlationship, not only this life, but particularly my near-death experience. So it was just kind of like an X-ray transparent uh, experience of, you know, my soul, not just uh, three-year-old Jake, but my soul and its, and its journey beyond, you know, what I knew at that moment in time as, as a three-year-old, certainly. Wow. But, you really almost did die because you were not breathing at this time, right? I was completely suffocated. And so when I was suffocating, it was just, I felt like I was in a basement in a home where you just kind of shut off the power breakers and my body was just not able to function. And so rather than just stay in a car that's not working, I got out of the car, popped the hood to kind of see what was going on. And so <laughs> um, the last thing that I was aware of was my brain and I was really able to feel my brain and look at it through a much different lens. So not only when you have these experiences, are you aware, you know, of higher realms, but you're also privy to, you know, even this realm and, and the body and the neural functioning that had I gone to Harvard Medical School, I don't even know if I would have been aware of what I had without my NDE, you know, and having this kind of Xerox, uh, this having, having this transparency of my body and my brain. Uh, but I was able to feel my brain, the deprivation of oxygen, and once my, I felt my brain literally just crack in half, like a large snap, snap in half, as if, you know, we're plugged into this wall and you yank out the plug 
And once my brain cracked open, that's when God in the spirit realm came in, as the saying says, <laughs> you know. So um, wow. viewers, I it's it's funny. A lot of viewers and, and people that attend my workshops want to have self-induced near-death experiences. <laughs> and, and I tell them that you just have, like you said in the intro, you just have no idea of how difficult a near-death experience could be, particularly when you were as young as I am and just how complicated that can make things be. But, you know, trauma was was the double-edged sword of my near-death experience. On one hand, it was the scariest moment of my life. But on the other hand, it's the reason why I'm able to have such vivid detail, you know, the degree of tr trauma that happened. You know, to me, my near-death experience is why I'm able to have recollection of it. And trauma, you could either have clear recall or you could really disassociate it from it to protect yourself. And I was just the opposite. Wow. Okay. And so were they resuscitating you? Is that how you were able to come back? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was rushed by an ambulance to a hospital. And, you know, I was responding to breathing and they were able to, you know, really take care of me and bring me back, you know, but they had to have a whole ambulance and rush me to the hospital. And um, I don't necessarily think the doctors revived me. I think by deciding to to agree to to come back, and that's how I was able to really come back into the body. You know, I think near death experiencers are usually given two choices: where your work isn't done and you have to stay, or yeah. you're given autonomy. And I was given autonomy. And once I decided to live, you know, I I, I think that's when I was able to really get back all of my functioning and stuff like that. So, um. Yeah, but it's it's interesting. I know Anita Morjani, for instance, has had something similar where I guess she had like terminal cancer and she had her friends and family come by and you know, this was kind of it. But when she had her NDE, she decided like she, I guess she wanted to come back or that there was more work to do. And once she made that decision, the healing began and she was revived. You know, So it wasn't yeah. the doctors that did it. I think it was her, the power of her her choice and agreement to to continue on this journey. Very often, that's what happens. Yeah. Absolutely right. But to be so young and have to go through that is pretty awful. <laughs> really. Talk about talk about decisions. I mean, you know, um, you know, people make big deals about decisions of what stock they would invest in, and yes, you know, stuff like that. At my age, and I had a decision that at such a young age, if I was going to stay or or to go, and it was the most difficult choices. But I, I was helped by negotiating in a way. Um, that decision, where in a sense I was kind of inquisitive as to what, uh, and curious as to what this life would be like, and you know why am I here? What's my purpose? So I was I was given some potential um, possibilities if I were to stay, and as beautiful as the other realms were, um, it didn't pale to comparison to bringing some of that that I saw in my near death experience, you know, into this life, into the lives of others that I would interact throughout the years. Yeah. And you then as a as a young person, you were somewhat difficult, as I recall, from your first book. If I wasn't on a radio show, I'd probably have a different couple choice words. But yeah. Yeah. But a child to raise. It definitely I starts with the word pain. But um, yes. Yeah. I, and and, you know, it it makes sense. Hey, I think a lot of older spirits tend to at times be rebellious against the norms and, you know, just some of the upbringings because they're able to see through it. 
in a way, uh, you know, see pass through some of the programming. Uh, but having near near death experience, I, I think trauma caused a lot of anger that I at least had on an inner level, um, and just kind of uh, rebellion with many different kind of factors um, in life. Where I guess it was hard to accept that I was, you know, a, a three year old or, or a young kid. I I had understanding that. I was experiencing myself as that, but I was not that. But in order to survive, I had to have radical acceptance of myself as that and just kind of push this NDE a little bit away so that I could survive. Yeah, I think that the hardest part for many people who have extraordinary experiences in early childhood is trying to fit in afterwards. Right. Being like a normal child afterwards is very, very difficult. It's funny but, how um, that works, yeah, because uh, it's the coolest thing to do when you're in the moment, but it's the uncoolest thing to do looking back on it. <laughs> and you, you can't, yeah. did, did you did you talk about that, about your experience with other people? I don't recall. from You know, I, I just found out, you know, every day I'm learning new stuff about my near-death experience, but recently, probably within this past year, uh, my dad is also a therapist and, you know, is more kind of analytical, more traditional, religious kind of a guy. Uh, but he, um, so he's not like woo-woo and stuff like that. And so he doesn't make stuff up. And he said, you know, after he had your near-death experience, and I'm just kind of using my language now, but he said, you know, you said something to the extent of, you know, what I had is something that won't make sense to you now, but one day it will. Uh, but I can't really talk about it because it won't make sense to you. And I'll take credit for it. That's that's profound to say. Um, right. but, but but he told me that point blankly. So um, you know, he's he believes my my NDE and throughout the years talking to my parents has helped because like yeah, I I wouldn't discuss it with them because it just was so sacred. But also something that I just kept very close to my heart. But you know, early on, I would just go into interviews and says, oh, I was maybe four or five years old because no way in my imagination did I think I was three when this happened. I was like, I'm my own biggest skeptic. You know, my mother, like a couple of years ago, just told me you weren't four, you weren't five, you were three. And that floored me because it felt almost impossible to have this degree of recollection. And it didn't felt that long ago. And as a therapist, I just like question how I'm able to remember something at such a young age and you know, when you're that yeah. young, one year is like 10 years, right? You know, so it's such a right. big difference from three to five to four. Uh, but it just, I think my near-death experience is a great teaching reference where in a sense that we all say, all right, we're 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 not our bodies, we're spiritual beings, we're timeless. People will say that, but they won't be able to understand that kids and infants you know, aren't what they appear as, as they are, you know, they That's aren't true. their blank slates that, that we see them as. So we could apply that understanding to adults, but for kids and infants where they're often misunderstood, you know, from even people in the spirit realm that, you know, they kind of see them just as infants and that's not the case. These are timeless, infinite souls, you know, right. experiencing themselves in these young infant bodies, in their personalities, in their names and cultures. But that's not the totality of who they really are. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's 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 extraordinary. That's really it's a very it's a very simple kind of thing, but it's just amazing how you know I, 
and not to judge, but people who are, you know, in the field just are so perplexed by my NDE. And I'm just like, it's very elementary, <laughs> at least to Jacob, me. I remember the moment I discovered I was a female. And I, right. I was not more than 11 months old. And my thought was, I remember where I was. I remember looking around the room. I was walking, barely walking. And and my thought was, oh, I'm the other kind this time. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm telling you that because you're a therapist. A baby had the thought, oh, I'm the other kind this time. Yeah. There's such a carryover from other lifetimes that we live. Can you believe and... I had that thought? Isn't that a extraordinary thought for a child that that age to it's, have? It's profound because we're just shoved uh, our genders and our names right from the start, and for us to kind of understand that I, that's I not who we of, are. Oh, there are two kinds. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing that. Um, uh, I mean, at least to me, the soul has has both genders, that, but I think it's androgynistic overall. We're we're, um, we're completely androgynous. I mean, it's yeah. just. <laughs> It's so yeah. strange. But we just have memories of ourselves and sometimes you have cellular memories of ourselves living as 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 other genders. And I know you definitely shared you've you've lived male pretty much in every lifetime that you could remember. This is a very unusual experience. So right. Yeah. So for you, it was very hardwired in your soul's experience to be male. So to be female was for you something foreign. So it was that was very disappointing total... actually to think I had to go through a whole I'm, I mean now I'm happy to be female, but right. it didn't I wasn't happy until after I went through puberty. Yeah. <clears throat> very strange. The whole thing is. It's so a big adjustment. Us, yeah. Tell me tell me about your, your um out of body experience because that's something that happened after your first book. Yeah. Um well well my OBE was was included in my first book. It it it, it, it transpired um, when I was in college, like in my early 20s, uh, <laughs> essentially, my near-death experience coincided, and you know, for those who know me, know that I'm Jewish, but it coincided right before Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the day where you're able, where you're meeting your Creator. You know, flash forward around 20, you know, a little less than 20 years, 20 years later, I had my OBE right around the high holiday time of Yom Kippur as well, and it's just kind of interesting how how this, you know, how, how it happened around that time. But, you know, I, a couple of days before this, I just had this experience where it wasn't certainly as a therapist, I can know what's a manic or defensive, depressive or psychotic episode. And a part of me was thinking that, but I just remember just kind of like sitting on my bed and just started laughing at the top of my lungs, not just laughing, but laughing where every part of my body was just like wringing out all the pain or your know, heaviness that I had. You know, I just like crying as well, where every little thing that I was holding on to was letting go. And from having this great degree of catharsis, I just felt myself just leave my body. And this went on on and off for like several weeks. But you know, I found myself within, a, you know, a synagogue you know, around, you know, the Yom Kippur high holiday time. And I just literally saw myself leaving my body, adjoining with my, you know, spirit totem, which was like this bird. And I was flying around you know, the synagogue, and I was able to see this one strand of energy, the silver core that connected everyone within the temple. And it, I just kind of was just, it was just humorous to me as to how limiting, limited people saw themselves as, where they were just so consumed in their thoughts and their egos that they just forgot how they are so beyond, far beyond interconnected they could ever imagine. And um, I, I, 
you know, throughout the years have heard the term oneness and it just kind of seemed like a new age um, term. But when you saw it, when I saw it right in front of me, you know, the belief of it to a knowing, um, it was profound. But within this experience, I just felt, <coughs> excuse me, my energy centers just exploding. Like my heart was as wet as an ocean. And my third eye was this on and off blinking eye. And it was just the most profound experience. And it was like this huge eyeball that I felt right in the middle of my forehead that was slowly blinking on and off. And a part of me was almost scared, like, oh, my God. But then another part of me felt like, no, this was this is who you really are buried beyond, you know, all the tension in the human condition. You know, our, our core phyla is a spiritual being. And I just was, you know, accessing my spiritual body and my energies inside of it. <laughs> all right. So. Explain to people about the third eye, because many people are going, huh? Yeah. So we have two eyeballs, obviously. I mean, well, hopefully most of us, but we have two eyeballs that we physically see out of. But our third eye, which really now is um, being able to, it's being proven now is something that actually, you know, really exists within, you know, our own brains. Um, It's called the pineal gland, really, uh, that people could find. But um and, and it secretes it's between and above our our visible eyes. Right. It's right in the middle of our forehead. And, you know, our third eye is really the, the center of in, our intuition where we really see things through our spirit eyes and um, our intuitive eyes. So we could see things through our eyeballs on the physical basis. But our third eye is how we see things through a much broader sense and our, our inner you know, vision. Um, and so that's always there, but sometimes that's blocked for many different reasons. Uh, so if we really are able to open it to a larger degree or smaller degree, we could have a lot more of a GPS system in our life and see things through a deeper context. You say that you've subsequently had more out-of-body experiences. Have you learned to induce them? Not really. I mean, they just kind of come when they come. I mean, I I found like... You know, these experiences are kind of like a lobster shell, right, where you have the shell of consciousness or or just development that you have. And then when you're able to outgrow that shell, you have this kind of shake up period and just you just are kind of like upgraded into another state of consciousness in this life. And I've known like mediums, for instance, they just don't know why, but one day they wake up and they are all of a sudden able to just give readings, you know, when they have this intuition. They don't know why or how or why that happens sometimes. Sometimes they do, but sometimes it's just kind of like you're going at a certain pace and then you you graduate and you have a different level and gear to access in this in this life. But you have to really work on it. It doesn't just kind of stay the way that it is, much like, you know, if you have a Ferrari and just lie it have it, you know, sitting in a garage for years, it probably won't work as well either. So you know, intuition and um, spiritual connectivity is a muscle. We do have to work it. But I find that that it's not through force. It's through really just kind of like this gentle surrendering and this light kind of feeling. It's not kind of like in our society, we try to muscle things and force things to get ahead. You know, uh, it, I think spirituality is just the process of really ease and letting go and, and getting into grace and flow within ourselves getting into grace, getting into flow. What's happening now in the world is that more and more (laughs) people are yielding 
to what is really a natural process, I think, in all of us. All of us have a spiritual side. And what has happened, I think, for far too long is the religions have blocked that spiritual process. We, We tend to think of religions and spirituality as the same process, but religions have really blocked the natural spiritual process in most people. Um, Because religions are, are, are fear-based. They're not love-based. Oh, sure. Is is the spiritual process in in us. Love elevates us spiritually. Fear reduces us and lowers us spiritually. And, as we we tend as as religions are loose are loosening their hold on us and and what happened to you when you were were a child was you you had this enormous sort of you were charged spiritually i think and that was what this 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 fighting and and i saw it in the first book uh you were fighting the the religion <laughs> that it was the sort of trying to keep its hold on you uh, in in your in your youth in your childhood and in in your youth because your family was quite spiritual and that you could see that in the book um in in the first book that you wrote and i i guess i guess spirituality won uh that right. seems to be what happened i think you know what's what's and you make up a great point with with the fear as well as spirituality, I think that's who we are, what we're born with. Religion is something that we're taught or exposed to. And at least for myself, religion wasn't personal. It was something that, you know, we everyone kind of experienced and it was out there ex- externally, where spirituality is very personal. You know, it spoke to myself on, on a personal basis and it was very subjective. Um, but I find that the, 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 a lot of barriers are from people, like you said, holding on to fear, where in a sense they would rather have an unhealthy comfort zone of a way of they of what they see themselves as than to maybe change to a more of a healthier way of living and a healthier uh, comfort zone. And so in a sense, in, in, at times to change, you have to be willing to lose the way that you are looking at the world to find a new way, a new paradigm of it. Um, but I think letting go of the struggle and surrender of it and having more surrender of it helps, you know, in a sense like you can't change people, you can't change religion, religion will be religion, but have the radical acceptance that that's, you know, the way that some people see it as, but just have to like stay in your lane and focus on what you can control. Uh, But the issue is within times is when religion has really taken over and has, (laughs) you know, uh, just had the opposite um, expression of what it really was intended to, and um, you know that that could become difficult. So you know, it, wars start from it, and conflict, and crusades, and yeah, you know, it's totally antithetical. Religion has always been used by leaders as a way to control people, right? Right. And and that's really what it's been about. And and spirituality is about freeing us from that and, oh. and and enabling us to relate to God directly. And, and that's, and that's a threat to control, right? It's like when you, when you have kids who individuate at a very early age to an insecure parent, that's a threat and they want to bog you down, control you, get dogmatic with you. Uh, but I, you know, I was reading and you know, that, that the count, the count, the council 
of Constantine or Const, you know, Constantinople, and I think around the year 200 AD, banned any like emphasis of reincarnation in the you know it, you know in the New three, Testament. Three twenty five, yeah. Three twenty five yeah. around that time, yeah. Nice exactly. So yeah, I'm no theologian, but uh, I was reading something like that, you know. So uh, you know, if you look at different religions such as Judaism or Christianity, they all have parts of them that emphasize spirituality, you know, and stuff like that. But that's overshot or taken control by, you know, dogma, you know. Yes, right. The, the dogmas all are, are all about it, it, um, introducing fear into the equation so that they can uh, make you afraid to uh, get, you know, not stay in your lane. If you don't, uh, in, with, Christianity is the one that I know well. And uh, if you don't uh, do certain things and believe certain things and behave in certain ways, you're going to hell. And um, I, I don't know enough about Judaism to know what their their fear trap is, but I'm sure there is one. Um, it, if you don't um, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, then um, you're going to. I have no idea what, hmm. but. Uh, that's how they control the people. And if you if you don't stay in your lane, you're going to uh, suffer tremendous consequences. That's that's for thousands of years. In fact, really, for most of human history, that's how religions have been used as a as a means of control. Yeah, well, we're escaping growing... that now, and yeah. that's beautiful thing. So, yeah, certainly growing up, it was more of an emphasis on this world than the than the other world. But within the Jewish faith, you know, one beautiful tenant tenant of it was uh, something called Tikkun Olam, which was uh, creating peace on in the world. And yeah, you know, we could always focus on uh, <laughs> some things I don't agree, but that was one of the most profound teachings that I had. Where you know, religion or or, or life should be about creating peace on earth. Um, and each person yes. could contribute to the greater collective movement of it. Um, you know, they can. Yeah, well, there was a reason. Um, speaking of, and we, that's not what this, that's not what our program today is about. But there was a reason that Jesus came to the Jews, which is that they had most of it right already. Um, and uh, he could add to that and, and create his new movement um, mm. because you, the Jews already had most of it right. Yeah. But, but now uh, let, let's let's talk about how you use what you learned in childhood um, in in your practice today. Um, so much of of what um, you do is work with people who have problems, who mm-hmm. who are, are you know who've lost a loved one, who have crises in their lives, and um, you use you say you use past life regression therapy. You use various kinds of therapy to help people in their right. lives. Well, my near death experience has allowed me to really embrace the darkness. You know, certainly suffocating was one of the darkest moments of my life. But from going there, recognizing it for what it was as something just temporary, but allowing myself to surrender, you know, to to really the light you know, in the other realms and my angels just allowed me to understand that, that only love lasts and is, it is eternal, you know, pain and sufferings are often gateways to get to that point and you, people can transform and transcend that. And so much of my life, I think there's two different types of peoples. There's often givers and takers, 
And so I could have been a taker of this experience and just said, hey, I had this profound experience, but not shared it to anyone and not tried to do anything with it. Or, you know, I could say, wow, you know, I'm so thankful that, you know, this happened to me and I was given another opportunity. Um, and, you know, how could I learn from this on a personal and professional basis to to give back what I was given? And so in my in my professional life, I, I try to help people who might feel stagnant or stuck or wanted to really move the needle and just to give back everything that I was given. Uh, and not only this life, you know, being born, but but in a way having a rebirth period after my NDE um, and really encountering, you know, uh, grace and, and beauty, you know, in the other realms that I connected to. So for example, what kinds of problems um, are you helping people with people who have, who maybe have lost a loved one who are grieving grief, you know, throughout the years, people who are, contemplating self-harm, suicide, depression, anxiety. So I work, you know, full-time both in the private practice as well as, you know, within a psychiatric hospital setting, um, you know, people who are dealing with acute mental health crises to some things, just to things that are just kind of lower intensity, but just trying to really get their power back in life and take their life to new levels. So um, from the ground up, I, I work with people and sometimes ground zero, you know, and um, I find that the near-death experience has allowed me to 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 see people as potentially more resilient and they have more resolve in themselves that remembering that pain is temporary, but, you know, love and, and healing is, is a possibility and a true reality at our, at our core phyla allows me to really generate the hope and inspiration, you know, with, with each client that I try to encounter. It's very difficult, I think. Um, one of the most difficult things that people go through is losing a close loved one. Yes. And um, as, I've told, as I've told you, I'm the worst person for people to encounter if they've just lost a loved one. Because too often my reaction is, you know, oh, lucky them. Um, and I, I can't. I, I, it's a, it's a reaction that I can't shake because I'm so, especially people who have lived a long and happy life. I, I just, to live a long and happy life and then have a good death is, is something I congratulate people for, which, sure. I, which I shouldn't do. I know that I know I shouldn't right. do it because well, most people don't, still don't understand the wonderful thing that death is. Mm-hmm. Lord. Right. I have to get, I, I think for a lot of people that I encounter, they understand that there's a life after their loved one's death, um, but they have a hard time understanding and finding ways to make a life after, you know, to find their own lives after their loved one's death. So that becomes a challenge where they understand they're in a better place, but they might not be in a better place from from that loss at, at times. And so, um, Yes, obviously, uh, I know you and I certainly have profound have belief systems and you know and evidence on it. But I think sometimes the best thing is to meet people where they're at, you know, and just kind of and that's certainly what I do professionally is everyone's on a different level on their grief journey, on processing their loss, and most times they don't want to be told anything; they just want to be heard, they want to be listened to. Um, and I think that's yeah. important, but right. if, 
we've had so right <laughs> and and um i think some of the best therapeutic sessions that i've had is when i said nothing which reminds me that that less less jacob is better jacob right no but <laughs> but you know but 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 what a but, profound thing to say less jacob is better jacob no 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 but but in that context but yeah i i i think i and i was i was talking earlier to you about this that sometimes we we just think that one thing could be true but i think we could live in a reality where you could have two things being true where you could have you know, an understanding of eternity um, of the soul, but you could also grieve too, you know, that there could be two things that could be true and coexisting in your life. Um, it doesn't have to be one or the other or either or. Um, and, but, but I find that when people that are really able to go through their own feelings and their own grief, there could be a real big transformation from pain into love and meaning, um, you know, if you're able to go through it properly. They they can grow from that experience. Absolutely. And you can help them by listening. That's a profound, profound thing to say, Jacob, very much. Absolutely. There, there's a man by the name of David Kessler who I listen to religiously or spiritually, I should say. Um, and <laughs> you know, yes. he, he he took over the uh, Elizabeth Kubler. I mean, he's like a big week at the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation. And he's profound, but um, he had a statement that he said, you know, grief is kind of like a river there's like a river of grief and it will take you where you need to go you just don't want to resist it you want to allow it to take you where you need to go and within time you know you'll find you know healing but it does take time and it does you know take patience and self-compassion but there is certainly transformation that happens you know through grieving of a loved one and you know grief to be clear is not just you know, you know, the loss of a loved one, it could be the ending of a relationship, a job, it, it's any death, I shouldn't say death, but any ending of a situation as we know it. Um, but I think if you're able to combine, like the emotional processing, as well as utilizing some of the higher consciousness perspectives towards grief, it could be a great tool, um, and a great perspective to have if you have a balance, you know, of both you know, the spiritual understanding of the afterlife, but also being able to process it organically on a, on a human level. Because you're doing past life progressions for others. Have you learned more about your own suicide in a, in a previous lifetime? I've learned certainly a lot about suicide um, <clears throat> in this lifetime. You know, I, I, I think... But have, I, you, have you learned about your own suicide? Because you, you yes. did... Suicide yes. the previous lifetime. Both, both. Okay. Um, I I had, um, you know, in, in the last lifetime, I think, and Asha, I shouldn't say, I think, I know that my NDE had a great deal of correlationship, you know, with with my last lifetime in which I completed suicide. Um, you know, in this last lifetime, I just felt incredibly trapped, you know, and there was no way out of what I was experiencing, and I just felt suffocated much like I did in my NDE and there was no way out and obviously I saw you know in that last lifetime I wasn't sent to purgatory you know God doesn't kick us when we're down you know there's healing and upliftment and you know unconditional love and acceptance but I understood that this lifetime was correlated with that last lifetime in a sense where I had my NDE and it was like a similar feeling when I was suffocated in my NDE 
but from letting go of that oh, suffering yeah. and allowing myself to really access the love, you know, in the in the higher realms that was always inside of me and around me, I was able to navigate that and I was able to transcend, you know, the, the lowest point of my life. And so uh, I use that as a framework, you know, of people where sometimes we're feeling very lonely and isolated in our pain. And if we're able to just surrender to the help around us from those maybe in the higher realms to maybe those in this realm, and to not try to muscle it all on our own and being able to surrender to support, um, we could find that we could be carried through even the most difficult moments of time. And I think if we were born to, this, to, to do this all alone, we'd be born on a stranded island, but we have other, you know, billions of inhabitants here on the planet that could, you know, the good ones and the right ones could assist us too, that we don't have to do this all alone here or from help over there. So do you feel that you kind of made some efforts at closure of that previous lifetime as and that this NDE was part of that? I think from completion, we begin in a way and we carry over, you know, certainly a lot of the, um, you know, lessons from some of those lifetimes are just the, the main kind of themes of those lifetimes. Right. So cer certainly that was there. I mean, that's something that I still struggle with, you know, at times in my life, in my early teens, you know, in my later teens and early 20s. But, you know, really understanding that you know, there, there's a great gift of crisis that, that within crisis, if we handle it in a, in a way, it could be a gift of transformation. And maybe one, you know, great um, ascended master who hasn't had some degree of crisis in their life and has transformed from it. You know, um, if you look at, you know, for example, people like uh, Eckhart Tolle or Neil Donald Walsh, like they were at the abyss of life and they had transformation or, even the Buddha, you know, right? He had crisis in his life and transformation. So I think we have to embrace crisis and embrace the storm. And it's kind of like a herd of buffalo. If you look at a herd of buffalo and they're sensing a storm, they don't run away from it. They run towards it. Uh, but in this life, we're very trendy. We just want to move on to the next thing. We don't embrace, you know, at, at times our state of suffering as, as something that could potentially if we go through it the right way as something that could transform us and was there for a reason. Yeah. What a profound thought. Wow. We've come unfortunately to the end of our time, but I think we've got more to do with this book. We'll probably just come back and, and finish it uh, with a second interview. I have an interesting backstory in the wisdom of Jacob's ladder. Um, I know last year we spoke about, you know, our, I guess our Jewish connection in a way where, you know, with your story and, you know, me being Jewish and stuff like that. And, um, and I, I didn't intend on this, but my book was released on Holocaust Remembrance Day. It, it wasn't something that I intended to do. And when I heard about it a couple hours before, I, I, I wanted to honor Holocaust Remembrance Day. I didn't want my book to be released then. Uh, but then a thought dwindled on me that, you know, Within the Holocaust, they burned every book written by a Jew or anyone who challenged the regime, you know, including Albert Einstein. You know, and here I was, you know, you know, close to a century later, as a Jew writing a book, you know, on on Remembrance Day, and it just reminded me, you know, that it's kind of allegorical for the near death experience that, you know, love truly knows new death, and we will continue to write our stories even if others try to take the pen away from us and. There's a Holocaust survivor that said, Eli Wiesel, that said, God made us because God loves our stories. 
And so even if life tries to take away your story, no matter what, we have the freedom to write it. We could continue to write it and love ultimately prevails in a darkness. <laughs> that was absolutely the right day to release your book. Right, right. <laughs> absolutely. From the depths of darkness, you know, the Jewish people and life transforms. And um, it just, it, it brought tears to my eyes, you know, knowing, just kind of thinking about how much potential was was taken out of the, you know, millions of people slaughtered at that time and how many thought leaders, oh, we could, you know, totally. just you wonder how different the world would be. And you know, just having them, all the books possibly that they get their hands on to be burned to a century later, you know, less than a century later, being an author, being able to write a book as a Jew is, was, was very moving to, to myself. Oh, uh, yeah. You just brought tears to my eyes, too. So thank you very yeah. much for that. Well, Jake, thank you very much for that. We will definitely be back again with the rest of this book. There is a lot more in this book we have to talk about. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, and always an honor, Roberta, very- to be on your show. Uh, I can't state it enough and how significant your show is, you know, in changing the world. I don't know if you see it, but but it, it really I get told all the time from people listening to your show who just tell me how much it has impacted their lives and changed their lives. And, you know, you just do such incredible, profound work through, throughout, you know, the the years of this. Thank you. This is our 10th year. Um, we will be celebrating our our 10th year in June. Um, now I have tears on my cheeks too. Um, <laughs> the, that's the, a, that's okay. You know what? It's fun. I have clients of mine who apologize for crying all the time, <laughs> and and I ask them why, and then I say, "Did you go to the bathroom today?" They said, "Yeah." I said, "Did you apologize for going to the bathroom?" They said, "No." So I said, "Why would you apologize for crying? It's no there, different." There it's are a very natural few things flow. that can make me easily cry, and one of them is the Holocaust. They don't uh, even talk about the Holocaust to me. Right. Um, but we will talk. We will talk again. We have some. We have some. There are things in your book that I want to talk about, and and we probably should talk about the Holocaust too. We've come to the end of our time, dear friends. Um, but thank you so much for being with, with us today, Jacob Jacob Cooper, who has learned a great deal in a very short life so far and i hope he has a great deal more to share with the world because from the age of three he has become very quickly very wise um big hug my dear friend <laughs> don't tell that to my family they would disagree but but i'll take the compliment <laughs> All right. thank you All roberta right. an honor uh. <laughs> as jesus said no man is ever a prophet in his own village Right. Ramdas, it's not different. Like you think you're great, just ask your family. <laughs> right. They'll tell you, that's for sure. And again, we have come to the end of our time. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so happy you could be with us today. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began, you never will end. And when you really get what that means, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be Brenda Weiss. Her five-step forgiveness program can help you learn to do the single most important thing each of us must learn to do in this lifetime. I personally think, of course, the prevenient forgiveness that Jesus taught is the easiest method to learn forgiveness, but there are other ways, and this is a great backup method. The point is that learning complete Backup forgiveness and blanket rather forgiveness is a lot harder than it looks. Wow. All right. I still have 
the, the tears there. And to be frank, it doesn't even look all that easy to forgive, no matter how you try. So please be sure to join us next week. And this week, of course, we've been talking with Jacob Cooper, whose new book, The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder, is a pretty good book, I gotta tell you. And Jacob had a remarkable near-death experience when he was a baby. He was only three years old. And now he's a clinical social worker, certified hypnotherapist, and Reiki practitioner. He is giving back big time. His experience at three is now informing all his work. And his first book, which was also very good, is called Life After Breath. It details the effects of his early childhood NDE had on his growing up. And I found it very moving, but this book is even more so. It's called, again, The Wisdom of Jacob's Ladder. I think you're going to enjoy both of his books. And now, of course, it's time once again to mention that Seek Reality Online is your one-stop resource for all things death and the afterlife. Just go to seekreality.com and start to learn for yourself what really is going on. It's going to move you more than you know to understand that you really are. I'm not just saying this. You are a powerful, eternal being. You never began. You never will. And it is impossible for you ever to die. You can begin today to learn that your reality really is eternal. As you know, my nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught, and Isn't It Time? And of course, the website, if it isn't out when you're hearing these words, it'll be out any minute now. For children, there's The Fun of Meeting Jesus, which I can testify personally is the most fun you've ever had in your life. You can order all these books through the bookstores, any bookstore, really, or on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Most of the adult books, except the last one, I haven't gotten around to it yet, are also available as audiobooks. If you want to talk to me about anything at all, just go to the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. I answer every email when people give me their right email address. And meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, always knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you, most of all, in the entire universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.